The composition of each person's lung cancer is unique, which makes identifying a biomarker so critical. It allows for targeted treatment. Hi there, I'm Diane Mulligan. And I'm Jordan Sherman. ROS1 positive is a biomarker, which can drive the growth of a cancer tumor. But thanks to research, we now have precision medicine that combats that growth. So Ross One is our topic today on Lung Cancer Foundation of America's Hope With Answers podcast. There's a lot of important research going on in Ross One non-small cell lung cancer. One of the hot topics in Ross One lung cancer is how do you manage resistance to the ROS1 targeted therapies. And for that, there are many drugs in development that are currently being studied in clinical trials. I was actually excited that there was a clinical trial available for me to join at the time when I needed it. I feel like it's my opportunity to give back and help and contribute to research to further um, treatments for this disease. Lung cancer is a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers. But first, it's a disease that affects people. The Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer. The researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. We are recording this Hope With Answers podcast in November of 2023, the very month the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved a new drug for ROS1 positive lung cancer. It's just a simple pill, but Diane, it's showing a lot of promise. It is, and it's a testament to research because you know, Jordan, we have learned more about lung cancer in the past several years than we have in the past 25 years. And among those benefiting from All of this research are people who are living with ROS1 lung cancer. So let's learn a little bit more from our guests. We'll hear from Lisa Bonanno, a patient advocate living in Florida, diagnosed with ROS1 lung cancer. But first, we'll begin with Dr. Tejas Patil, Assistant Professor of Medical Oncology at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus in Denver. Dr. Patil, can you tell us a little bit more? What is ROS1? How do you define it? Great question. So ROS1 non-small cell lung cancer is a mouthful. So let me break it apart. We have the last part, which is non-small cell lung cancer. It's a type of lung cancer. And the ROS1 comes from this growing trend in lung cancer where we're going beyond just calling it lung cancer and really getting down to the genetic level. And so ROS1 is a type of mutation that we see in patients who have lung cancer, it's one of many, but it's an important one because there's targeted treatments available to these patients that really are not like chemotherapy. They don't have the same side effects. They're very different. And so that's where the term ROS1, non-small cell lung cancer comes from, is it's really recognizing the importance of one, doing genetic testing, and two, trying to pair patients with targeted treatments if that's appropriate. Great information and so important for patients to really understand. Dr. Patel, you know, I know ROS1 is a very aggressive type of non-small cell lung cancer, and it can spread to the brain and the bones. It is one of the more than a dozen, right, types of lung cancer that, that we know about now. 
Why is it so important for people to ask, what is my biomarker? That is a fantastic question. And let me start by saying that lung cancer generally is quite aggressive. So if you just never did any biomarker testing, we would find patients where lung cancer is spread to the brain and to the bone. But what is important about this biomarker testing question that you've asked is really the fact that it allows patients a type of treatment that they normally wouldn't get if they didn't have this test. So really what you're telling a patient when you say you need to get biomarker testing is you need to have your genetic, um, the genetic makeup of your tumor, you need to understand that so that we can know how to give you the most appropriate targeted treatments. And in specifically for ROS1, this is important because they're pill-based treatments. These are not chemotherapy. They only work if you have ROS1. If you don't have ROS1, you're not gonna have any benefit from these pills. So knowing that is important so that we can prescribe that properly. I think that, you know, when you hear lung cancer and especially a lung cancer diagnosis with it, you know, being the deadliest of all major cancers, um, you have just like, you know, that, that pit in your stomach, that fear, but we've seen some incredible strides uh, in lung cancer research, which has developed, um, helped develop new targeted treatments, as, as you alluded to um, before. Can you talk a little bit more about why research is so important and funding research is so important and the continued funding of research is so important uh, for future treatments? Very, very good question. And so one of the reasons that research is so important in the field of lung cancer is that with research, we can offer patients better treatments that improve not their quantity of life, like how long do they live, but also their quality of life. These two things go hand in hand. I'm often thinking of history when I think about the need for research. And 20 years ago, we would be having a very different conversation about what lung cancer treatments look like. In fact, the conversation would be very short. It would be, you have lung cancer, this is chemotherapy, good luck. Now our conversations are way more complicated because we know that lung cancer, a lot of these patients who have lung cancer have mutations that we can treat with targeted therapies such as ROS1, but also the other big player in this space is immune therapy, which I'm not sure if we can go there if we wanna talk about it, but it has also dramatically improved the life of patients. And so these two treatments, targeted therapy and immune therapy, have really moved the needle such that if you look at the most recent data, the lung cancer overall mortality is actually going down for the first time in 20 years. And I think that's in large part due to research that has identified mutations that we can target and also identified the way our immune system can help fight cancer. You know, it's so interesting when you talk about the research and, and, and the immunotherapy and understanding the biomarkers. This all came out of clinical trial research. So is it still important for patients to consider clinical trial research? Absolutely. I'm a big believer that clinical trials are really the way to advance our knowledge in the field. A lot of patients would not benefit from the treatments that they're receiving today had it not been for earlier patients who had enrolled in clinical trials of these same drugs. 
What clinical trials do is it offers patients the opportunity to get cutting edge therapy. And one thing that patients often ask me is, well, am I going to just get a sugar pill or am I going to get the real drug? And it is actually unethical to um, put a patient on a trial where all they're receiving is placebo, unless placebo is truly the best thing you can offer a patient. And that's actually quite rare in the modern era. So really what trials mean is a patient will either get the best standard of care treatment that's available or the best standard of care treatment plus some new treatment. And it's really that question that we're trying to tease apart with the clinical trial. And from those clinical trials, you get this terminology, you know, called precision medicine, or some people um, have referred to it as a targeted therapy. And I think that goes back to, you know, what you were saying 20 years ago, that conversation would be, we can give you chemo, but we have no idea, you know, how long it's going to work for you. And, and we know in, in many cases it, you know, at that point in time, it wasn't a, a very long time at all. So what kind of differences are we talking about here? when somebody's able to have a targeted therapy versus just a, a chemotherapy regimen from 20 years ago? Right. So targeted therapy has really come out of the recognition that a lot of patients who have lung cancer, their lung cancer actually has very specific mutations. And these mutations cause the cancer to grow and to grow and to grow. And the recognition of these mutations has led researchers to say, hey, what if I stopped that mutation that tells the cancer to keep growing? What happens? So what happens is when you give targeted therapy, the cancer cell stops growing, it dies, and actually patients do much better on this type of treatment if it's appropriate for them. The long-term survival for patients who get targeted therapies is oftentimes quite good, often in the order of years. I have several patients in my clinic who are 10 years out from their stage four lung cancer diagnosis. This is a number that was unheard of 20 years ago. There was basically no one who was alive 10 years after their stage four lung cancer diagnosis. And so targeted therapy really remains an important type of treatment in the toolkit that I use as a lung oncologist. So who is eligible for clinical trials and who should be asking their doctor about them? So I'm going to answer your last question first, which is that every patient should be asking their doctor about whether a clinical trial is appropriate. Who is eligible is actually very dependent on the trial itself. And each trial has a clinical trial protocol that specifies who can get into the trial and who cannot. And a lot of this is done out of concern for safety. So for example, if a patient has um, advanced kidney disease, then the trial may not be appropriate. And that's because we don't know if they're able to clear this experimental medicine through their kidneys because their kidneys aren't working as well. And the clinical trial protocol will say that. So a lot of it depends on the specific trial, but the question should always be asked, am I a candidate for a clinical trial? Kind of a double-edged sword when it comes to in you know changing topics really quickly. Um, doctor, it's a double-edged sword when it comes to insurance because we know that most lung cancer um, diagnoses happen when somebody is stage four, unless something else happens and you kind of luck into the diagnosis. 
Um, and at that point in time, you know, you have to go through different paths to get treatment. Um, but there are people who can be screened ahead of time. Um, again, those, those stage four diagnoses um, typically come after you start to see some types of symptoms that you may not see in stage one, two, and three. So can you talk a little bit about the screening criteria, um, you know, how most insurance carriers from Medicare um, to the VA will pay for those costs if you meet the screening criteria and who might be eligible for those? Okay, so this is a very good question. And this is getting at a, a very important intervention that we can do as the medical community to help patients um, not develop lung cancer. And this gets at the concept of lung cancer screening. I mentioned targeted therapy earlier. I mentioned immunotherapy earlier. The other real big advance in terms of reducing mortality from lung cancer has been from lung cancer screening. So I don't, I want to really emphasize this as well. Currently, screening is recommended for patients who have a 20-pack year or more smoking history, who have smoke now or have quit within the last 15 years and are between 50 to 80 years of age. And there's been a big trial that has been done several years ago that showed that a low dose CT scan can help detect lung cancer at an earlier stage. So when it's not spread, when it's not stage four. Finding lung cancer at these earlier stages can allow patients the opportunity to get treatments that they otherwise may not have been eligible for, such as surgery, such as radiation. And this is a very hot topic right now in lung cancer. And there's a lot of research going into how do we take care of patients who have early stage lung cancer. And so I imagine that in the next two years, if you ask me the same question, I'm gonna give a very different response. The other question I have for you is, what would you say is the newest thing that's going on with ROS1 right now? What's the newest research that's out there that, that has you excited? Oh boy, uh, how long do you have? <laughs> that's a great answer right there. I love that. Yeah, there's a lot of important research going on in ROS1 non-small cell lung cancer. And I'm gonna break it down into sort of two big areas. So the first area is trying to understand how patients who receive ROS1 targeted therapies develop resistance to those therapies. Resistance is a big problem for patients with ROS1 lung cancer. Almost every patient will at some point, and we don't know how long it is for each patient. It can be one year to all the way up to 10 years. I have patients who have never progressed on their first targeted therapy, and I have patients who progress within a year. But in any event, when they do progress, the question then comes, why did their targeted treatment not work? And what drugs can we put into develop, what drugs are in development that we can use to help these patients? Most of them are in clinical trials right now. That's one active area of research. What do we do about patients who are progressing on their targeted therapy? The other can area- Can I stop you there for one second? Can you define two things? One is what does resistance mean? And two is what does progressing mean? Oh, thank you, thank you, yes. So resistance means that the cancer is growing in spite of you taking your medication every day. So for some reason, 
the cancer has figured out a way around the targeted therapy. And usually this comes in the form of some kind of mutation that evolves as a, re as a result of um, processes that we still are trying to understand. Progression is a clinical term. And really what that means when the doctor uses it is they took a look at your scans and there is spots or tumors that they are seeing on their scans that are growing when they shouldn't be growing. That's progression. So one of the hot topics in ROS1 lung cancer is how do you manage resistance to the ROS1 targeted therapies? And for that, there are many drugs in development that are currently being studied in clinical trials. That's one area. The second area is an area that I'm very excited about. It is still very much in its infancy, but it's this concept that's very closely related to resistance and it's called persistence. And let me define that. So persistence is this really interesting concept, which is when you give a targeted treatment for ROS1 lung cancer, most patients, you know, this is, you know, if you look at 100 patients, maybe, you know, most of them are going to have this um, image on their first scan. So when they come to see a doctor after three months of being on treatment, most patients will notice that something like 60 to 70% of their cancer is gone. It's not there. But the question that remains is why is there 30% left behind, right? It should be 100%. And so this concept of persistence is looking at that 30% that's still in the patient's scan. They're not growing. They haven't developed resistance, meaning the patient is still on their targeted therapy. It still seems to be working. But for some reason, those cells haven't died. And I think that is going to be another major area of research. What is it about those cancer cells that are letting them live or letting them be alive in the presence of targeted treatment? Is there anything that we didn't ask you that we should have asked you about ROS1 that you think people out there should know? So ROS1 is a very rare subtype of cancer. And even though lung cancer is very common. I still think of ROS1 non-small cell lung cancer as a very niche cancer. And I think it behooves a patient to see a specialist who takes care of a lot of patients with ROS1. The field is constantly dynamic. The treatments are constantly changing and the optimal um, approach for patients with ROS1 may be changing. And so that is one recommendation I would have is seek a specialist who sees a lot of ROS1 non-small cell lung cancer. It's so exciting to hear the hope in Dr. Patil's voice and see the advancements research is making for those that are living with ROS1 lung cancer. And one of the many people is our dear friend, Lisa Bonanno. She too is living with ROS1 lung cancer. Lisa is a Lung Cancer Foundation of America Speakers Bureau member and a well-known and trusted patient advocate for others facing lung cancer. Well, Lisa, stop me if you've heard this before, but you don't look like you have lung cancer. Is it difficult when people just don't understand what you're going through? And how do you manage those misconceptions? I do get that all the time, actually, and um, and I'm in a good place right now. So I that's understandable when you feel healthy and look healthy on the outside. 
Um, I have had many down, down days and, and months over these years. Um, but what you can't see on the outside, I'm still dealing with on the inside, not just physically, things that cancer has done to my body, changes that have happened to my body because of it. And also mentally and emotionally, you really go through a lot, I think, um, and the roller coasters of this disease. So that's not always visible, obviously, on the outside, except for those that are really close to you. And I just kind of take that as an opportunity to explain to them that we're really lucky to have some great treatments right now that live allow me to live as close to normal life, you know, as I used to before cancer. Lisa, the other thing that I think is interesting is, is that you know you're ROS1. Mm -hmm. How important was it for you to find out that you were? And what kind of a difference does it make once you know what that biomarker is? For me, it was a game changer. Absolutely. Um, you have to remember when I was diagnosed, it was 12 years ago and biomarker testing wasn't a common practice at the time. So I actually didn't know about that driver until 18 months after being diagnosed. And unfortunately, a lot of stage four patients don't, don't make it through the treatments that I had had at that point. But I was extremely excited when we found out I had a driver that we knew there was a medication out there to treat already. And that changed my life from doing more chemotherapy and radiation and possibly another surgery because of tumor locations to being able to take a targeted therapy made just for that cancer that helps me live and feel much more energetic, gives me more time and the ability to be able to do other things. When you use the term driver, can you explain what you mean by that for somebody who's who's new to lung cancer? So we call these biomarkers or oncogenes or driver mutations. Um, it's really just a gene that's kind of had a little glitch in its replication and it's not behaving the way it's supposed to be. And that's what's driving my cancer to grow. Great. Thank you. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, clinical trials because you talked about how you're on a targeted therapy and these therapies are developed through clinical trials. So um, in your experiences, was it you know difficult to decide to get involved in a clinical trial and what ultimately made you um, you know uh, say, yes, I want to do this? I was actually excited that there was a clinical trial available for me to join at the time when I needed it. Um, a lot of people think of, you hear the term a lot, you're being a guinea pig. You know, this is that they're just testing that on you. Every single drug that's been approved that we take has been tested. And that's the only way to find out if it's safe, if it's, if it works. And um, I feel like it's my opportunity to give back and help and contribute to research to further um treatments for this disease, but also it's a great opportunity for me to be getting the newest and most current up-to-date treatment that's out there. Well, if there was one thing that you wanted people to walk away from, from this interview with, what would that be? And, and especially for those Ross one, Ross wonders, as you guys are called out there, what's that one thing that they should know? You have to keep advocating for yourself throughout this entire process. I think that is 
so critically important, important, educate yourself a even a little bit about your particular disease. So you know what your next options might be also in case your doctor isn't aware of some of those newer treatments that are out there. What a great conversation with LCFA Speakers Bureau member, Lisa Bonanno and Dr. Tejas Patil. Not only did they give us great insight into ROS1 lung cancer, but they also provided hope for anyone who is living with lung cancer. If you're enjoying the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast, consider donating to help LCFA produce this resource. Remember, this podcast is a resource for patients or anyone else seeking answers, hope, and access to updated treatment information, scientific investigation, and other information about clinical trials. Make sure to subscribe to the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. You'll be notified every time a new episode is available. So visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can find more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and more. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you.